if you can get up to five to six rejections, you start to build what I call rejection immunity. So, you know, the first rejection, the world's going to end. It's the worst thing that's ever happened to you. And then what starts to happen around rejections four, five, six, it starts to deflate, like your brain starts to deflate the impact of the next rejection, which is really where you want to be. So I am a firm believer in apply for as many things as you can, apply for schools you don't think you'll get into, go for jobs that you are underqualified for, and build your rejection immunity in order to get those things. And really, if I look back at my life, the best experiences in my life followed heavy doses of rejection. Hi everyone, I'm Yolanda and this is She Goat, the podcast that celebrates women in sports who are killing it on and off the court. Today we're going to flip the script and shift perspective a little bit because we have our first man joining the talk. With him we're going to speak about how men can show up as allies in the workplace and beyond. We're going to talk about imposter syndrome and we will also explore one of my favorite topics and one of my favorite words that is rejection. I think we all deal with rejection at some point and today's guest knows a lot about rejection and this journey is like a roller coaster of grit and determination so listen to this after four rejections he makes it into harvard law school and then instead of continuing doing this legal thing he decides he want to be a football coach and of course why not and that's the best part of the story because after being rejected from 31 nfl teams finally makes it to be a coach with the Kansas City Chiefs. But there is more because he wrote a children's book on empathy that made it to Oprah's favorite things list. He was also a faculty member at the University of Texas and he is a keynote speaker and an angel investor. Today's guest is Darren Roberts. Hi Darren, thanks for being here. In your own words, all these achievements, even if I don't like the word achievement, but all these things that you did are the result of a lot of rejection. So of course, my first question, it has to be around rejection. And a few days ago, I was reading about this thing on TikTok. It has over 72 million views and it's called rejection therapy. So it's a challenge where people try to get intentionally rejected every day for 100 days. For example, they ask strangers for a hug, for money, for pictures. And the idea is really to build resilience against our fear of social rejection. Please tell me what are your thoughts on rejection? Yeah, it's interesting because I used to teach a, a class on rejection at the University of Texas. Um, I, When I left the National Football League, I was at the University of Texas for eight to nine years, I ran a center for sports leadership and innovation. So, you know, we would teach financial literacy and leadership classes to all of our athletes, all sports. Um, and then I taught in the class, in the College of Liberal Arts, and then also in the, um, the School of Business. And I taught a class called Rejection Immunity for four semesters, four semesters. It's interesting, that whole rejection therapy is actually, we talked about nothing's new. It's an old, um, there are a couple of guys who are really big in the space and they wrote that book probably 10, 15 years ago, but it's good to see it kind of catching fire because one of the things um, that we learned in the class from the research is essentially 
if you can get up to five to six rejections on a particular thing that you want, you start to build what I call rejection immunity. So, you know, the first rejection, the world's going to end. It's the worst thing that's ever happened to you. You don't know how you're going to recover. And then what starts to happen around rejections four, five, six, it starts to deflate, like your brain starts to deflate the impact of the next rejection, which is really where you want to be. Because I I see game as sort of a um, you know roulette table where the more roles you have, like the better chance you have to get what you want. So I am a firm believer in apply for as many things as you can, apply for schools you don't think you'll get into, go for jobs that you are underqualified for, um, and build your rejection immunity in order to get those things. And really, if I look back at my life, Harvard Law School is a prime example because I could have gone somewhere else, but I, I really wanted to go there. So, um, and then getting my first coaching gig after 31 teams said no, like the best the best experiences in my life followed heavy doses of rejection. I feel I feel you. I know what you're what you're saying. Like now for the podcast, I've sent mm. so many invites and so many. I reached out to so many people. And then the first rejection was very like, oh, this is uncomfortable. You know, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be feeling this. But then after the third or fourth or fifth, I'm like, okay, you know, I got this. Watch me, watch me doing this. So I think it's even like, as you said, you build that immunity resilience. Yeah. I mean, really, I mean, listen, it's um, the more you can, the more no or wait or not right now, like the less that bothers you, the better off. I just feel like the most successful people I know have this, um, whether they're writers or athletes or coaches or musicians. Like the most, I'll say this too, caveat. I'm trying to get away from saying most successful and really most fulfilled, which is hard, right? Because I think successful becomes this sort of outer metric of, oh, they won this many awards and so this many books or albums or they have this position. But I just feel like a lot of people that I feel like are the most fulfilled have just really come to grips with rejection being a part of their lives. Yeah. And what yeah. do you do when you feel when you are in the rejection? Like, let's say that I'm the only, there are the rejection now. What what should I do? Yeah. What do you do? So, and I'm going through this right now because I've shifted into the world of um, writing fiction. I've always wanted to write fiction. Fiction has been the the probably the strongest constant throughout my life has been good fiction writing. So two years ago, I started writing it. and. So I have a short story that I, each week, I pick two to three publications that I submit my short story to, to get it published. And I got my first rejection. There's a really sort of popular publication called One Story. And I'd submitted it, you know, five, six months ago. I was on vacation. And then in the middle of the vacation, I get this message back that says, hey, thank you so much for submitting your short story. It's not a good fit for us at this time. We hope that you'll submit more short stories in the future. So it stung. Um, I think in immediately during a rejection, I just remind myself that there are thousands of other publications on the planet. Like that's my first initial thought, which is, okay, they didn't like it, which doesn't mean that everyone on the planet won't like it. And there are thousands of places that publish stories. 
So I always try to widen widen my scope because I think we get so fixated. So remember yeah. that the universe is abundant, put things in perspective, but at the same time to have that healthy obsession to go towards your goal. Like, okay, yeah. I really want this, I want to achieve that, but with the healthy mindset of saying, okay, this is not maybe the day, it's going to be later on, the universe is abundant, there will be so many other opportunities. And I know maybe it's a bit cliche also to say rejection is protection, rejection is God, uh, God protection. I believe in that that type of things. And yeah. this is the, 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 the talk that I'm telling myself, you know, if something is not going through in personal life, professional life. Like I do believe in this premise of like the universe conspiring. I can see like there are forces that keep you away from things and present things to you and ask you to spend more time here, but get you out of this other place quickly. So I think just follow the path. I think we overthink it. I'm an overthinker. I'm fighting with that. Are you one of those people? I'm one of those. I have a monkey mind. I have a, like, my mind is scattered so I can overthink. I can fixate on things and like, it can bug me for a long time. I'm learning, slowly learning how to, you know, not care. You're not overthinker, I guess. I have been, I have been in the past. I think- How do you stop? You know what, I wonder, I'm 44, I'll, I'll be 45 in November. I wonder if some of it is a function of age. I think what happens, it kind of reminds me of like being an athlete. You go through so many games of life that when you look back, so much of what happens to you, I don't think you have any freaking control over. Like we want to believe that we are like the primary decision maker in our lives. I think it's complete bullshit. I think there are so many things. I think we have less influence over the direction of our lives than we think we have. I think, we've, I think it's also to say, look, I'm going to go in a general direction. I'm going to tweak my approach as I see fit. But there's going to be a lot of things that happen to me on this path that I could not predict, won't have any clue of how to deal with, and it's going to be fine. 100%. And and listen, I'm curious to know one thing in, in your journey. So if we think about the narrative around imposter syndrome, the narrative that is presented is, is something that affects only or mostly women. Mm. You in, in your journey, is it something that has like happened to you? How do you deal with that? Have you ever felt, oh my God, I cannot do this? I don't know, this public speaking or I don't know, teaching this class or coaching this yeah. team? My dad, I think one of the great gifts that my dad gave to me um, is that he he told me something very early on. So I'm, a, you know, obviously I'm, I'm black. I grew up in a small East Texas town, very rural. There were, dad told me something early on. He said, you know what? You're going to be in a lot of important rooms with a lot of mediocre people. And he would always say that. I'm like, what in the hell? Like, what does that even mean? And as I went throughout life, I go to the University of Texas, I'm in this honors program, you know, I'm sitting around my first week of class and I'm looking around at these kids from private schools and you know, this big city. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, like there's nothing special about them. Like I, I thought, oh, I'm coming from a small town and no way I'm going to be able to hang with the kid who's paying 50K per year for some private school on the East Coast. I started listening to them and um, there was a lot of peer review too, where you know, we would write essays, but then you had to get them reviewed by a peer in class. It would be a blind review. And I remember reading some of their stuff being like, this is shit. Like, I really am very grateful to my dad um, for heading off, I think, a tendency that I may have had to go to the imposter syndrome category. Because I think our tap your 
inner dialogue? Like, what are the things that your brain reverts back to and tells yourself? Like, really wiretap and listen to those refrains because the same language comes into your brain at different points. So, like, always, I physically have a little guy uh, with a stop sign that I trigger in my brain that's like a stop. Like, hear you saying this language to myself. This is not the path that we're going down. Instead, I choose this language. And yeah. so change yeah. to your internal dialogue. And it takes a lot of self-awareness journey. And some days is like confidence is up. I'm the main character. Some days I'm down. Some days I just want to curl in bad and I'm like, no, I cannot do this. I don't, you know, you know, the feelings. I think, I think being a constant, like, I think humans really overvalue being at a constant level. I think it's a lot of the like business bullshit literature about like, you know, optimal levels. And I embrace the days where I don't do shit, but like eat chocolate covered almonds and, you know, don't make any progress on my writing. I think that it's important. I think the body sometimes tries to force us to rest. Like there's a difference between that becoming a consecutive streak of days versus I found that typically when I have those kinds of days, it's because I've gone overboard and my body's like stop where I'm gonna shut down. And I'm trying to do a better job of embracing those moments. Yeah, listen to your body. And yeah. um, listen, how do you show up as an ally, as a male ally? Uh, yeah, you know, I think that uh, it's very interesting. I was actually thinking about this question. Um, this came up with my daughter. I, well, I have two daughters, uh, one's going into the second grade and one is going into uh, the sixth grade, going into a new school. We were talking about allyship this summer. Um, you know, it's interesting as I move into, I've really decided in my life that the two things that light me up are writing and speaking. Writing is a very solitary, it can be a very solitary craft. I also found out later, like post 2020, I really enjoy spending time alone. Like I used to be, I think I forced being a little bit of an extrovert in the first half of my life. Now I really enjoy just like being with myself, writing and reading. Speaking is like my out in the world, outside kind of activity. On this, on this point of allyship, I realized as I would go to events, there were very few women who were getting hired as keynote speakers. And so I made a point to find two to three women and these are women that I look up to in terms of what they've done for their in their careers and ask them like, hey, who are the rising women speakers that like are on your radar? And there have been several points during for events that an event called me and said, hey, we'd love to have you as one of our speakers. And during the conversation, I would say, hey, have you thought about so-and-so? Like I heard her speak, she's incredible. And so that's one way that I'm showing up as an ally. Yeah, that's a great example, I think. Uh, walking the talk. How do you say in English? Talk. Walking the talk. Walking the walk. Walking the talk. Walking the talk. Yes. Yeah. Walking the yeah. talk and really doing something. And I see it even in the in the corporate world how important it is to have the role of a man as an ally to show up and advocate, even be a sponsor, opening doors. 
And that wraps up another episode of She Goat. I really hope you enjoyed our talking to the world of sports, allyship, imposter syndrome, and the topic of rejection. So I wanted to close with a song from Seza. So she's a singer and she met Sadhguru. Sadhguru is a spiritual leader. They met in November 2021 and they worked on this thing called inner engineering. That is a process of using yoga and meditation to balance daily challenges with internal peace and well-being. And Seza mentions this meeting into the song Far, into the intro. So Seza meets Sadhguru and she asks him, how do I deal with rejection? I'm dealing with a lot of rejection right now and it makes me feel very small. And he answers, oh, that's great. If nobody wants you, you're free. So I wanted to close with this song and I want to say a big thank you to our guest Dayron for sharing his inspiring journey and thoughts on these topics. Hope you enjoyed it and remember to hit follow and share this episode with your friends. See you next time.